0: is john mccarthy and the producer is harry parker for more details on the program the excess baggage baggage web pages can be found at bbc.co.uk slash radio four where you can also sign up for the podcast what happened to the maverick scientist showman entrepreneur and the inventor of the infamous death ray steve punt pi is on the case in just a moment we now enter the world of Archeo-acoustics. BBC Radio 4 reveals the sounds of the past. Travelling back in time using sound and music as our time machine. Professor Jim Al-Khalili explores how the past would have sounded to our ancestors. The acoustics of Stonehenge sometimes sounded like a very deep bass synthesiser. Hearing the past. Tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock. Steve Punt has Radio 4's very own gumshoe now. This week, he searches for the truth behind a maverick inventor who toyed with airwaves with deadly intent. It's another case for Punt, P.I. This
1: is Punt's Private Eye. I'm not here right now. Please leave a message.
2: It's Tracy.
3: An intriguing
2: little case just came in involving a
4: deserted laboratory, a tormented scientist, even talk of a death ray, and more than a whiff of wartime intrigue. He made our chats in Whitehall jolly jumpy, and I want to know why, Punt. Bring me a detailed dossier on this fellow.
3: Is he science fact, or science fiction? The name's Matthews. Grindle Matthews.
1: Laboratory? Scientist? Death ray? I went with my first hunch. Tracy had fallen asleep in front of Diamonds Are Forever and woken up confused. My second hunch was to see what the jumpy gents of the government had on him. So I headed straight to Kew. The place, not the gadget man. And the National Archives. There, ignoring warnings of menacing three-wheeled vehicles... I found a quiet corner to read through his file. Proposals and inventions of Mr. Harry Grendel Matthews. Minute sheet. Air Ministry file, secrets. Yeah, this is actually from uh, Notes at the conference of Mr. B. Grendel Matthews' of inquiries instituted in the Birmingham police records as to Mr. G. Matthews's past... That is a board of trade. They do seem a bit jumpy. So that's him telling the Air Ministry uh, where they can get off, basically. It was something that was detonated um, by light at it. it. And I don't call. know whether anyone in the department Ouch. takes an interest in Mr. Grindle Matthews, the inventor oh, who claims to have discovered a sort of super uh, ray, ray which will uh, stop ray. a motor more successfully than any policeman, will uh, bring uh, aeroplanes that and kill uh, rabbits, well, etc. Et et so he did work on a an ray, and quite 45, a versatile one, 45, 45, one 45, 45, too. But he had more than just cars and rabbits in his sights, as I found in one newspaper report. twenty-five thousand pounds from the British government in a single night as the result of an experiment with a 10-foot motorboat on Pen Pond, Richmond Park, is revealed today. Hitherto, it has been one of the most closely guarded secrets of the war. Wow. The file contained plenty of leads, so I followed the one that was closest, Richmond Park. I had a rendezvous among the deer and ducks of Penn Pond with author and teacher Jonathan Foster, who had also seen the file, and we reconstructed events of that long secret experiment in 1915.
4: Yeah, I think it's quite easy to imagine what it would have been like back on that very, very cold December morning. It would have been very quiet, the light would have been quite low. Matthews would have suspected him and his technician would have been fairly nervous, because there was a lot of riding on this. He got this, like, senior, mustachioed Admiralty there, yeah. wanting to be impressed and not quite sure what to expect. And then Matthews gently launches this small craft onto the calm water. It's like signals to his technician to switch on the searchlight and uh, start manoeuvring this boat by mysterious means. Yeah, he's saying, now it's going to go left, and then to their amazement, uh, port, perhaps I should say. It does. Yeah, it goes port-like, and you can imagine their astonishment. There's no sort of like, pilot on board, there's nobody actually steering it on board. It's almost an illusion. Now I shall make the boat yeah. to travel to the right. And then, of course, his a piece de resistance will be firing that gun. Yes. Oh, and you can see the bangs sort of echoing around a very quiet, cold park. We can you imagine a government official would have thought like, wow you know this new technology actually works and there it is in front of us yeah shall we pay for it shall we buy it let's use it so what was
1: this new technology that the government wanted to buy and use
4: They'd asked him to look at this kind of technology of using selenium, which is a, quite a special element with a unique property. Of When you shine light on it, it generates an electrical current. And by shining light on this selenium cell that it had, in a mechanism called an automatic pilot, it could use that technology to control this boat over a distance.
1: A ship steered with a ray of light. What did the hard-faced men of the Admiralty make of that?
4: The government paid him £25,000 for it, thank you very much. £25,000 £25,000. That was back in 1915, so that set him up quite nicely. And it just goes to show how serious his work was and how successful his work was and that the government were prepared to collaborate with him and pay him for his work and his, his, his inventions.
1: It was certainly serious money the military clearly judged was worth it. That sarcastic memo about a ray that would stop cars and fricassee rabbits didn't seem to match with the man who, the file showed, had patented a radio telephone before the First World War as the skies above Britain crackled with early wireless. With the British Empire stretching right round the world, radio communication was a hotbed of research once the conflict was over, and I got a tip-off that down on the banks of the River Severn, there were clues to Grendel Matthews' manipulation of the ether.
3: The little lighthouse that you can see on the rocks over there, yeah. that is Black Rocks, and that's the line in which uh, Grindle Matthews was sending his signals uh, straight across to that point.
1: Eric V. Garrett stood with me looking out across the wide expanse of estuary between the two suspension bridges. Eric is a relation of Grindle Matthews on his mother's side. None of them seem to be called Ray, and as a former electrical engineer, he knows how ahead of his time Harry was.
3: It was really to get his, what we would recognise today as his mobile telephone. Right, and
1: just to be clear, what year are we talking about? Uh,
3: 1920. So he had a he had a wooden shed just yeah, over there, yeah, with a big mast. That's right, to, next uh, to, to it, to it, full uh, of gizmos. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. and then somewhere over there, three miles away, yeah. a similar setup to receive it. When when he was sending signals from uh, here uh, across to uh, Black Rocks, the voices were being picked up by sailors in the North Sea. Uh, You you know, which seemed to be too far away. But how it came about was the Avonmouth docks, which is about two miles downstream from here, that in the local pub, the sailors would congregate and talk. And on this particular uh, occasion, talking about voices in the uh, North Sea, described as ghost voices... Uh, they were operating the morse on the ship. They put the headphones on, they were expecting <coughs> to hear a morse signal, but instead... But, but they were picking up voices. And this came out in the newspapers, and uh, Grindel Matthews then made contact to say that uh, it was his uh, voice that was being heard in in the north sea yeah which is the other side of the country from here Yeah. There anybody out college, there? he then done another demonstration in the to demonstrate it was him and not some other ghost voice hello calling all sailors
2: this really is harry wendell matthew
3: <laughs> a
1: second demonstration Clearly, Grendel Matthews had a good nose for publicity. But radio was an expanding and respectable field. And let's face it, there were worse things a sailor could pick up in Avonmouth docks than ghost voices. Selenium cells and wireless, both serious science of the day. I wondered about the formative years of this inventive mind. Where did he get his mix of curiosity and imagination? I tracked down his great-niece, Margaret Stephen, in nearby Chepstow conscious that sometimes people recognize me from my comedy day job i put on my serious interviewing face
5: he was always known with great affection as little harry my aunt would say not uncle harry it was little harry because she'd heard this so much many times of my mother you see this is a oh dear i've lost the just for this because i'm watching i i tell you what it is you're frowning at me and you're worrying no, me I'm a sorry, little I'm bit because to, i'm not well, no, sorry, you, I'll, you've I'll got I'll... that expression on your face. I'm not really sure whether to go forward. I'm not sure you believe in what I'm saying here, you
1: know. <laughs> I must have inadvertently lapsed into a Paddington Bear impression and given her a hard stare. I'm an I apologise for my face and we continued.
5: Okay, let's recap. Well, little Harry would go down to the old forge and there he'd pass many happy hours, captivated by the stories of the wonder of space, which the old blacksmith told him. Because, I mean, this was the time of horsepower, wasn't it? And he was needed everywhere. You can sort of picture him, a very strong man, because he's dealing with animals all the time. The anvil, uh, the horseshoe going into the water, those sounds, you know, and they go, the red hot hitting that cold water, you know, and then coming back up. And if you think of all the harness that's around, and... At the same time, this wonderful gentleman this, could give that time to that little boy, who was in awe of him and just a wonderful listener. You know, the magnetic field was very strong between two persons. Yes. Must have been, and they had this common factor, didn't they? Where they would go on this wonderful journey into outer space, if you like. Yeah. And he told him one day perhaps man would go to the moon. He talked to the stars. He'd talk, he talked. It was all going to happen in space
1: what uh, j- j- just
5: what sort I mean, of year what mean?
1: What? <laughs> it was a serious question possibly caught up in enthusiasm for the story my eyes were having the effect of a death ray oh, i'm listening so i I'm just wondering what just roughly what sort of year are, are we
5: here oh yeah he was three years of age three years of at age. 1883 so right oh, well, anyway, it's so 1885 because yes. he's been at school learning the three R's, OK? Yeah. So as the years go by, Harry goes into school and eventually, he likewise is absolutely thrilled about electricity. He, he wants to learn. Do you follow me?
1: I do, yeah. No, absolutely. I really do. This wide-eyed little boy looking into the forge at the white heat of the century to come again doesn't sound like a budding Dr Death Ray.
6: Talking to you.
1: Margaret pointed me to South Wales to find out what came next after the remote control boats and mobile phones for this boy's own hero. It was time to delve into more documents, this time at Swansea Civic Centre. Andrew Dully, the assistant county archivist, produced some heavy files from the strong room, and I do mean heavy.
7: These records um, came out of the woodwork quite some years ago in the late 90s. And we were fascinated when they first came in because
1: they showed us a story which uh, blew our mind. Now that's the sort of thing I like to hear. So what did these voluminous binders contain? This one here contains
7: stills for a Pathé film which was brought out in the 1920s. And it's, it's basically a dramatic recreation of the demonstration of the death ray um,
1: in 1924. Hold on. So not only was there a death ray, but it was demonstrated. And that demonstration was then reconstructed for the newsreel cameras, with added professional polish. Beautifully lit. Yes. And we'll
7: see with some of them that it was a little bit of an embellishment of the the truth. Here's Harry Grindle Matthews with with leather gloves on, (laughs) staring at some poor little creature with a sort of cool, dispassionate gaze. And given that he had a death ray, I hate to think what he's got in mind.
1: Yes. What is it? Is it a dog? I think it's a
7: dog, yes. Yeah. It was rumoured he could kill a rat with his
1: death ray. I hate to think whether this little dog was going to buy it later mm, on. Yes. The, the, the dog, unfortunately, is wearing an expression that says, I'm not at all sure about this, isn't he? Yes, he, he is, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so here we are. Here's some more. That's Harry Gwindle Matthews in the middle. These are
7: meant to be the men from the government. So here's one with his waistcoat and his pocket watch. Yeah, he's still got his overcoat on as well. So That's right, He's obviously Hotfoot from Whitehall. <laughs> yes, he is. Or maybe it's to, to shield him from the worst uh,
1: effects of the rays. This photograph here of him, this is an astonishing Dr. Strangelove picture, isn't it? Every inch the sci-fi scientist. He's he's got these dark glasses on and this very powerful light on his
7: face. They seem to be goggles going around the side just to protect him. Apparently, he always claimed he'd lost the sight in one eye through his experiments. Mm. So he caught it in the eye and that had gone.
1: Yeah, although given that it was a death ray, he got off quite lightly. I think he did, yes. Did Grindle Matthews literally blind himself with science? Right, moving on. I think that might actually be meant to be the... Uh, oh, is that the death ray? I think, I yes, here it is in all its
7: glory. Wow. And look, here they are in their special
1: suits. They've got special headgear. Pointed up at the sky. The it's on a very strange stand, isn't it? It's yeah. On a sort of... Um, it looks like a walnut whip. It looks like a big searchlight. You can see the ray rather dramatically shining out and into a tree, although the tree, you'd have to say, is signally not on fire. The, the question that springs to mind is, well, do we know what it was? I mean, it looks like a, a light. Well, what's being shown here quite clearly
7: is it's just that. Um, what the actual ray was, no one's that sure. Um, even people who work quite closely with Gwendolyn Matthews weren't that sure what it was. He kept all the details to himself. Right. People have speculated it might be some sort of a laser. Death rays have quite a long and, um illustrious history i mean archimedes is the first one to do a death ray he used a parabolic arrangement of mirrors to reflect the sun onto the Syracusan warships to set fire to them back in classical times but more recently you've got uh, the war of the worlds where there's some martians who have death rays yes well that's back in in victorian times but then of course this isn't that much later that people are saying
1: well it might just work but which people newsreel audiences or scientific peers The huge collection of cuttings from all around the world makes it clear that the idea of the death ray grabbed the public imagination. The flair for publicity suddenly made sense and Matthews became a celebrity. Invisible ray for bringing down airways. When the nearest hostile machine comes within range... There is suddenly a terrible flash of lightning, as if a tropical storm had burst into fury. could be made, 50-mile anti-aircraft barrels round London could be established as London, in the House of Commons, Mr. Leach told questioners, that his attention had been called to the claims made of an invention known and as and the he's death also ray. Got death ray rivals uh, here. So at the times, times of India. Death ray says the Star Englishman may sell death ray secret to French. Death star. ray arms race. Some months ago, there appeared in the Daily Press stories of French aeroplanes and, having uh, been brought down on German territory North China star by some and mysterious interference with their ignition. Cutter. Tests are shortly to be made in Britain with an invisible government. Could not accept his statements concerning the invention without scrutiny, which apparently he was not prepared to face. In which the effects were produced by fraudulent mm-hmm. newspapers. The first lord of the admiralty on the matter, Sir, Sir Ernest Rutherford, who is an even more famous physicist, said that Mr. Grindle Matthews was not best a word avoided. Came from Matthews in Paris today right, after racing to Croydon Aerodrome um, in a fast, fast motor car. car. They found that Mr. Grindle Matthews had just left the country by air. That's Great, that's May the 28th 1924. It was a bit like the 39 steps, except in Croydon. From the old aerodrome control tower, Jonathan Foster and I looked out over an industrial estate and used our imaginations.
4: That's right, if we'd have been stood here in 1924, we'd have seen um, Matthews boarding one of those lovely little airplanes to Paris and a car screeching into this area here just in front of the runway and in that car was his financial backers and a solicitor desperately preventing him from going abroad to give away the secrets at that time as well Major Wimpress from the Air Ministry had spoken directly to Matthews urging him not to give away the technical details to any foreign foreign government or agency. So on the one hand they were being rather skeptical but on the other hand they were
1: telling him not to,
4: to, to tell anyone else any of these details? That's right, Major Winpress was very, very clear. In fact, he, he mentioned it was, a, it, was a, it was like an injunction that he could call upon to prevent him from giving away any te- technical details should he have be been pressed by a foreign government yes. to reveal anything. But
1: what were these technical details? All I could glean from the documents was that it was an electrical charge using ultraviolet light as a carrier beam. This sounded like science to me, so I asked particle physicist Tara Shears whether it made any sense at all.
6: Ultraviolet light or any type of light, and that includes things like X-rays and radio waves, are sort of manifestations, if you like, of the electromagnetic force. That's electricity and magnetism all rolled into one. So by saying that you have an ultraviolet light beam as a carrier, well, that's absolutely true. It's carrying the electrical force, it's carrying energy, so it could do the job. I mean, this is something like a laser.
1: So that answered my question. However, since Tara was in Geneva and had broken off from her experiments in the Large Hadron Collider at CERN in order to talk to me, I thought I'd better ask her another one, especially since she couldn't see me and be spooked by my expression. So I asked her the big one. Would it have worked? Could it have brought down a plane?
6: I thought about this and I don't think so because pointing an electrical beam at it is sort of like... Striking it with lightning that that's a really huge current. So that that's a natural equivalent of, of trying to do do the job for you and Nothing happens or at least for the most part nothing happens when when this goes on because it does when airplanes fly around they do get struck by lightning and the thing that stops the aircraft engines being immobilized is the fact that Aircraft are really metal boxes. So as soon as they're struck by lightning, This metal box just keeps the electricity away from the vital components and you're quite safe inside and the engine's quite safe inside. So, no, I'm afraid not.
1: Maybe it might have worked on wooden planes. It was 1924. But Tara's scepticism was widely shared at the time. Somewhere between the stage sci-fi of the newsreel, the wrangles with Parliament, foreigners, rival entrepreneurs and financial backers and the open scorn of some of the day's great physicists... Grindle Matthews packed his bags and his death ray and headed for the hills of South Wales. Armed with some character notes made by his biographer in the 1940s, which I found in the archive, I drove out of Swansea and up into those hills near the village of Riddipandi, where Edna and Roy still have memories of encounters with the man himself in the 1930s. What kind of impression did he make in the valleys?
8: Oh, everybody called him the inventor, Grindle Matthews the inventor, you know.
1: Build Height six foot four, very broad shoulders, high forehead, blue eyes, stance very erect.
9: What I remember about him was that he had a rather bigger car than what anybody else had, like uh, not a lot of cars around here at that time. Attire,
1: navy blue suits, blue silk shirts and ties, velvet Stetson type hats and silk cravats, shoes all handmade, clothiers Bond Street.
8: And he saw my mother doing something he'd never seen before, holding a piece of bread in front of the fire. That was the way we were toasting in those days. Yeah. We didn't have toasters. It was fashionable to do it in front of the fire. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah.
8: And he'd never seen it before. And he was a lovely man.
1: Mannerisms. Always held a cigarette in his left hand, but not a heavy smoker. While standing, right hand on hip or behind his back, wore leather gloves when handling
9: electrical equipment, together with white coat.
8: Uh,
9: intriguing. We didn't know what was going on, like because uh, we couldn't get in.
8: No, he had um, uh, what do you call his room. He had um, laboratory. Laboratory. I forget now what they called it. It was a lovely big room, you know, just for his inventions. Did
9: you go in it?
8: Yes. Been-
9: can you remember anything that was in no, there? No, no. was inventing things up there in the, on the mountain, and, and it was all closed. And I remember aeroplanes coming and landing on the mountain.
1: Habits, meticulous in everything. Drank the occasional ale, if visiting the village pub, to purchase beer for those working on his land. Preferred gin and Italian when entertaining friends. An inveterate tea drinker, more than 20 cups a day. A man who could do with very little sleep, often worked through the night in his laboratory.
9: Cars coming along the mountain road would be stopped uh, for five, six minutes, seven minutes, like that, and then start up again.
8: Well, the horse was uh, coming along, and my father was on the horse, and it stopped suddenly. And uh, we don't know any
1: It stopped on the road near Tor Cloud?
8: Yes, that's right.
1: Right. Uh,
8: Didn't stay for long, then it did move after. Right. Just one shot, stop, you know. Yeah. Mm. My father never got over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: that's strange, isn't it?
8: That's how it goes, is it? Gone are the days.
1: But what was he working on up there? An ultraviolet heat ray that could speed up edna's toast it may well have been on the drawing board it was time to visit research hq grindle matthew's mountain hideaway at a place called tor cloud but how hidden away was it Oh, it's on its own
9: very lonely spot is it quite hard to find Uh, you could go up from this road now and you'll go past it without knowing about it yeah Fortunately, local man, Jeff Morgan, could lead me along the bleak
1: and windswept route to Matthew's retreat.
2: He was into rocket technology, the aerial torpedo, he kept working on that, and he kept improving his death ray, all from up here. There were several hundred yards off the road. We're on a
1: yes. an posted track. Yes. And we're just now able to see his house, the yeah. building. This is his house, yeah. is it? House there and the, and the lab was on the other side. The house is still there low-roofed and sheltered against the hill and a large and somehow appropriate radio mast made the air hum with invisible forces but tracy had mentioned a deserted laboratory and now i found out why
2: ernest barnwell the author of the first book in 1943 on matthews said that he came up here uh, some weeks after matthews died to pick up papers and he found that A lot of the notes that Matthews had made were cut out of his books and most of the machinery and equipment had disappeared. They believed that the government had come here and taken everything away. Right. When the war broke out, the first thing they did here, they electrified the fence around his home and dug trenches in his airstrip. So if the man was of no importance and they put a guard here to watch him, An army man. So why was that necessary? If they were saying on one hand, well, what he's got is we know all about that or whatever, why should they protect him to that degree? Why,
1: indeed, did he believe that his greatest invention might yet fulfil its destiny?
2: You see, now, I was talking to you earlier about the Germans bombing Swansea. They used to come in down West Wales and they would come down over this mountain now. Yeah. And now you can see, he could hear and see the bombers coming, couldn't he? He's got a totally uninterrupted view, yeah. It would be ideal for him to have a go at bringing the bombers down, but Churchill refused him that permission, you know, so... He yeah. uses death To He uses... Yeah, 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 whether, whether it would work, we don't know. But you can see from, from his laboratory up there, he could stop vehicles on the road over there. That's, I would say, half a mile.
1: Yes, yes it is. And do we know? I mean, people witness these. Oh,
2: yes, yes. My father said that his brother went not on this road, on the other road. He was just further away again. His motorbike stopped one day and he got off and he, he, he couldn't see anything wrong and he got back on his motorbike it started and he drove off. It, it might be a myth because everybody then, if, if you ever stopped on, the, on this road, it is always Matthews' fault.
1: It might be a myth as with some of the experiments it's hard to find proof that the story is viable if Grindle matthews did meet churchill local legend says it happened in the mason's arms and that's where i met with gary melville who spent his boyhood playing around Tor Cloud, and has his own theory about the fate of its architect
2: the death ray received so much publicity i don't think to be honest he ever recovered from that towards the end of his life he really regretted inventing this death ray, Mm. which could destroy armadas of ships at one flick of a switch.
1: Having somehow fallen naturally into such archetypal roles as showman scientist, maverick against the establishment, stylish dandy and reclusive genius, the only thing missing was the moment of epiphany.
2: The death ray was an albatross on his neck, and so he decided to destroy the weapon. In a peak of remorse, he decided to
1: get rid of it. It's the perfect ending, with only one drawback. That wasn't
2: true, but that's
1: what I was told. Yeah. And thinking through everything that I had been told, I concluded in my report for Tracy that Harry Grindle Matthews' scientific achievements were overshadowed by the one which he could not prove to be true when science suspected it would prove too good to be true. In the end, the only thing his death ray seems to have shot down was his own credibility. Although, like any good semi-mythical figure, he is still a hero on his mountain.
0: punt pi was produced by neil mccartney tracy was played by jared mcdermott and next week steve's on the trail of a film about lloyd george which mysteriously vanished at the end of the first world war that's at the same time of ten thirty. a look back at the week in westminster after the news here on radio 4 with steve richards from the independent september the 10th 2001
8: it's a very calm day outside it's a beautiful day and you don't see the threat and that's your real security danger is going complacent about. The real threat comes to this country in the hold of a ship, the belly
6: of a plane. or Violence against innocent civilians is really senseless and, and it just shouldn't continue and we're working every day. What protection do we have? Try and lower the level of violence. In the near term.
0: The day before 9-11 on BBC Radio 4 tonight at 8.